Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. excited about this particular uh, topic, and uh, you may not have known this, for especially those of you who've been here just uh, recently, that uh, I was a worship leader, Andrea and I actually, that's how we got our start in ministry together. I was a worship leader for about eight years, which is kind of a long time for a worship guy, but um, <clears throat> partly was because I loved it so much, and, and it was something that Andrea and I did uh, quite a bit together, and uh, a lot of things that we did, and it was just really our life. And so there's a lot of passion that goes into that. There's, I, I believe that biblically it's an incredibly important aspect of our relationship with God. And so I'm really excited about getting into this. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get a little deep, but I, I promise it's not going to be too deep to keep that kind of a thing. But I'm after something very practical and really hopefully life-changing for you. Because, see, worship is more than just a title that we give that period of time that Christians meet, we're setting a time for worship, or when the bell tolls and we gather for worship, or a time really set aside for singing and reflecting on the good things of God. It's really much more than that. And over the next, sex, uh, uh, s- next several weeks, I want to take a fresh look at worship from a biblically historical and a theological perspective. And so uh, then we're going to wrap it up with, with what does that all mean in a conclusion and, and applying it to our life. And we'll probably spend the m- most of the time on that. Because again, worship is very important to me and it's an experience that I began embracing as a young Christian very early on and I relished along with other believers who were really discovering it for the first time. I guess I'm, a little, I'm old enough to say that I was really a part of really the kind of the renewal to the kind of worship that we enjoy today. And uh, I did not grow up in a traditional uh, uh, service like many of you may have. For my ex- first experience was walking into a church and uh, we sang choruses. We sang verses right out of the Bible and we took time to just kind of worship and to raise our hands and to sing and, and reflect on what we were singing. And so to me, I, was, I, I never knew anything else. And so it was a very, very powerful experience for me and, and something, again, I've enjoyed so much. So let me ask a couple of questions. You don't have to answer them, but we hope to answer them over the next several weeks. And is, is worship more than just singing songs? Are there supernatural occurrences that take place during worship? Does worship change us? Is worship necessary? Is it important to God? Why do we worship? And again, I hope to answer these questions and more over the next several weeks. So I want to jump right in because I do have quite a bit of material this morning and I'm just going to push right on through it. But where does the concept of worship come from? Where does it come from? This is in your notes. But from the study of anthropology, we learn that man is hardwired to worship, which defined is to pay homage to a deity through acts of adoration or fear leading to some form of sacrifice, either by giving, you know, uh, to try to change the fertility or to change the crops and things like that. Man has always done that. When you study uh, mankind back from the earliest known times in archaeology, they've discovered that they've always worshipped. They've always worshipped. Almost all cultures from tribal to civilized have had some form or continue to have some form of worship. 
And we also look at what is called the ontological argument. It kind of leads to that as a result, really. And that is that man has a concept of God. And if man always, it, it, from the beginning, without any input, has a concept of God, therefore he must exist. We all have the God bug. We have something inside us that is always looking up. It's amazing, isn't it? From a biblical perspective, perspective this would completely make sense. Because when we study the Bible, when we go from the earliest beginnings, which we're going to do, we see that, man, that fits right. I mean, we just say, yeah, of course, that every man is hardwired to worship. Anthropology only really undergirds, supports the concept that man was a worshiper from the very beginning. And we'll look at that. He was created by God and was created to worship God, the creator, and thus biblically prove each human, again, is hardwired to be worshipers. Genesis 1.27 says we were made in his image and we were made to be in fellowship and closeness with him. We could say that man is mindful, our mind is full of God, and God is mindful of us. And I will interrupt myself to just say, and it, it amazes me that in our culture today that it takes so much energy to try to get rid of that. That it takes so much energy to try to extract from man his natural tendency to want to worship takes more energy to stop it than it does to just go with the flow so to speak i want to read from psalm 8 which is so powerful and we're probably going to come back to this my wife andrea actually wrote a song from this this psalm but it gives you the feel of just what we're talking about when i talk about this hardwired tendency or desire to worship god let's read it lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David was overwhelmed, and he wrote this psalm by the, by the, by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's almost a perfect example of how, as he began to look at the majesty of the heavens, as he began to look at the creation of God, it took him someplace. Where did it take him? Right to God. It, and, and, he, and he came to that point where he was just so overwhelmed that he was, he was grateful, and he made these declarations. And again, so some of our questions are actually answered in this psalm, but we'll come back to this. We'll come back to it. So in the beginning... We've done some study on this, and we're not going to get too deep. But Adam and Eve, as we know, were created to be in a relationship with God. And this is important. This is so incredibly important when we understand. As, as we get later into this series, when you start saying, okay, what's this all about? Or, or from what I understand, we say around here, what fur, right? So why are we studying this? Well, I'm going to tell you. Adam and Eve, again, they had this special relationship. So when you read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see that God is the creator, right? And he is not only just a creator, but he's a provider. He creates a garden. 
for his children to dwell in in a perfect, it was a perfect place, a place of, of, of God caring for his children. And this is, this is also incredibly important. They lived in unhindered unity with God. They were in perfect relationship with the Father. So as he walked with the, in the cool of the day, they walked with him. There was, a, there was no separation. There was no needing to stir anything up. There was no needing to go to church on Sunday, so to speak, because they were in church every Sunday. Every day was a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And as a result of what we read here, we've learned that God has earned the right as the creator and the provider to be worshipped in, in full gratitude, well, for everything. And that hasn't changed. We know that Adam and, Eel, Adam and Eve spoil their place of intimacy by their sin, but God never stops being God. And mankind does not stop recognizing him as such as we study through scriptures until the wicked times preceding Noah's flood. As a matter of fact, Noah's flood came as a result of man pulling back and pulling away from worshiping God. And we don't know exactly what took place. We can read it. It's only small sections, but it, it was bad. It says that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, and there was a complete lack of a fear of God anymore. And God just said, well, I, got, I need to start all over again because man has fallen. Because of the fall, man has come to a place. And he says, I, I, I got to start over. And so he gathers Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives. And they, they build an ark. And this ark is forever becomes a symbol of the salvation of the Lord. Jesus is the, is the type of that ark. The ark is a type of Christ. And all who run to him will find salvation. But what we have here is mankind is going to be destroyed, and God says, but I'm going to save a remnant. And he gathers the remnant. Again, prophetic imagery here. He brings them into the ark. He saves them from the floods. 40 days, 40 nights, the earth is completely flooded. We still see archaeologically that the earth has been major, majorly impacted by this flood. Almost all ancient cultures write about a flood. It happened. Historical event. Changed the surface of the earth. Changed the stratum of, of, uh, of the archaeological uh, uh, exposure to what we see in the rocks and the soils and all of that. It was very, very impacting. But that's not the real point. The point was this, that when Adam and Eve and the waters receded, Adam and, I'm sorry, Noah and his family come out of the ark, it's a redo. And they're so overwhelmed by the love of God that he would save them. As they saw the devastation, as they walked out on the earth and saw there's no longer any human soul, there's no longer any animal crawling upon them. All that existed, what was inside that ark, and as they began to come out of the ark and as they began to see the sun shine, probably for the first time in, in a month and a half or longer, actually months and months because it took all that time for it to recede. So they come out and they're overwhelmed as you read it by the love of God, the mercy of God, that God would even save them. And so there's a resetting, a resetting of what? The resetting of the focus on the creator, on more than just a creator, but a savior. And so it is, again, there's a resetting that has taken place. Noah and his sons and his daughters and their children, from then on out, there's a whole new sense of the awareness of God. <clears throat> there's the story of God 
It goes on generation after generation up until the Tower of Babel, until the peoples all spread. They take with them this seed. God's destroyed the earth at one time, and he saved some of us from it. So once again, <clears throat> the acknowledgement of who God is. Now you've got to understand the contrast here. Because before Noah, people were in full-out wickedness. And we don't know how bad it got. We know it got pretty bad. There's even the legend of, of angels mating with human females and creating Nephilim and giants and weird beings and uh, just a really wicked time. Most of that was all washed away, thank God. But what we find again is now the prophetic clock is running because once they come out of the ark, God reminds them. God makes a, a, a covenant with, with, with Noah and says, look, I'll never do that again. <clears throat> he says, but there will be a day when fire will come and this will all be reset again because God knows the inclination of man that his heart is wicked from, his, from the day we're born. God knows he's going to have to and he's always intended to bring his son. The salvation of the ark was only a picture, a prefiguring of what was going to need to happen in the son. So the prophetic clock is ticking because from the very beginning, from the fall, God says, look, I'm going to fix this mess. Adam, Eve, you really messed this up. It's going to take several millennial, millennia to fix this thing, but it's going to get fixed. Because in the end, God says, you know, he goes through all these motions of doing different things, but he's all setting up for the ultimate wonderful conclusion of sending his only, only begotten son. So the, that prophetic clock it's ticking. God wants to bring us again into fellowship. God wants to bring all mankind into that pre-fall kind of worship and connection and intimacy. That's what he's after. And that's what you've got to understand. And this, we'll come back to this theme over and over again over the next several weeks, is that there, if you want to say, why do we worship? I guess we, we answer it right off the bat, but we're just going to reinforce it every week. Why do we worship? To be close to our daddy. To be close to the one who made you. To be close to the one who loves you more than anybody on this planet could ever love you. The one who wants to help you live this life. And then when you finish it and you breathe your last, to gather you up, and bring you into ultimate, complete, finished fellowship and connection forever and ever and ever with him in the new heaven and the new earth as it is described in the book of Revelation. So it's running. We're in movement. And where are we in this prophetic clock? Prophetic clock? <laughs> A lot further down the line than you think. No one knows the day nor the hour, but it's looking about like 11.59. You know? So, <clears throat> in time, God begins, as, as I said, he, he takes Noah. Noah begins, and through Noah's seed, God brings forth one of his sons, and of course his sons, and we know that they spread out through the Tower of Babel and all that takes place there. But there's one particular son that God says, okay, I'm working through that root, <clears throat> and his name is Shem. And, of course, Shem is the father of the Shemites or the Semites or what we might call the Jews. It's what we call <clears throat> And from Shem, excuse me. And <clears throat> from Shem, eventually comes Abraham. And Abraham, 
just comes out of nowhere when you're reading the Bible. You're just kind of like, boom, there's Abraham. But what's unique about Abraham, and we don't have the backstory on him, but if you were to to, to extrapolate and to think, okay, and we're going to do that here this morning. We're going to look at Abraham and just say, okay, what does, what's unique about Abraham? What does it tell us about how we got to that place? And, and so I'll just answer that right away, and then we'll come back to it. But <clears throat> what's unique about Abraham is that he's close to God. There's an intimacy that is very, very unique to the period of time. It's almost Noah-like. It's almost like he skipped over generation after generation after generation. And this man, Abraham, has this open relationship with the father that he actually listens to him. And what does he do with what he hears? He does what he tells him to do. And that is incredibly unique to man. Because man did not have trouble seeing the works of God. Man has never had trouble with acknowledging that there is a being larger than us. We've never had trouble by looking at the oceans, the mountains, the skies, the glory of God's creation and say, there is a creator. All man believes that. But what is unique, my friends, is that any one of us would ever stop and say, hey, God, hey, creator, can we talk? Hey, creator, can, do you have a plan for my life? Is there something more than just what I look around at and, and see in creation? If I'm a created being, is there more? And Abraham clearly has that. How he got it? I'm not 100% sure. Except that. From the, the, the loins, from, the, 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 from the, going all the way back to Noah and Shem, his son, it was passed on generationally. And so it comes to the forefront right here in his life. And what we see in Abraham is that he's blessed beyond measure. You need to take note of that, by the way. He's blessed beyond measure and becomes the father of many nations. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, just a father to a father of many nations. He gets an upgrade automatically. And there's a reason for this upgrade, again. But what we see about Abraham that is so unique is that he's a worshiper. He's a worshiper of God. He talks to him. He connects to him. He has an intimate relationship with him. He is beholden to him for all that he has, and he's beholden to him to where he is going to move in his life. Sound familiar? Again, we'll keep coming back to it. So how do we know that Abraham is a worshiper? A worshiper? Look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, this is Abram now. It's not, his name isn't changed yet. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is an incredibly powerful prophetic word, by the way, one that we see in action even to this day. Even to this day. You're sitting in the seat today because of this promise. Look at the last part. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So aren't you glad that Abraham was obedient to God? <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you glad that Abraham, just one human being on the face of the, of, of the earth, said, Father, what do you want me to do? And, he's, and he obeyed. 
And God told him, so, okay, well, I need to move you. I need to move you. I need to start over. I need to take you to a place where eventually I can raise up a people. I can restore a people. I can pull them out of this world, and I can focus, as any of us would. The strategy is beautiful. I'm going to disciple a group of people, raise them up, and out of these people, I will bring my what? My son. The one who will be the savior of the world. The one who fulfilled this prophetic word that you're reading here right now. So as we look at Abraham, what is amazing to me about this, this, this powerful individual is that he got to this place at all. And, 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 and yet, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think it's something that we should not miss. And so I'm going to take a, a moment to just, just show you to what degree Abraham is, a, is considered a worshiper. Let's take a, just take a look at this. He's a worshiper because he listens to God. He listens to God. And so really we're beginning kind of uh, answering some of the questions, but we're creating the characteristics of a worship. We're creating what it is that God is looking for. What does a worshiper look like? But we're going to look at, well, let's, let's look at Abraham now. He listens to God. God speaks to him and says, go from your country. It's time to move. He could, like so many of us, to just say, what was that? I'm kind of comfortable where I am. You know, he's living in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a major civilization. Uh, it's got its quick stops. It's got its grocery stores. It's, it's got its Wi-Fi cable. It's got everything it needs. And God says, no, I want you to move from that. I want you to go into the wilderness. I want you to start over. That took, so what I'm trying to do is just help you see that this took an incredible amount of faith in God to do. I mean, you don't just hear a voice in the middle of the night to say, hey, go and move, move to Detroit or move to Chicago or move to Baltimore or move, move to New York City. I mean, you don't just listen to that and say, what was that, and just do it. And that's not what was taking place here. It wasn't just this abstract, weird voice that came out of nowhere. This was the God he knew, the God he worshipped, that his fathers worshipped, the worship that he knew that his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Noah worshipped. And out of the blue, he says, Abraham, your time has come. I need you to move. So he's listening to God. That's pretty important. What is a worshiper? It's a person who listens to the voice of God. That's a whole lot more than a song service, isn't it? That's a whole lot more than just coming on a Sunday morning. That's a whole lot more than just identifying with being what we would call a cultural Christian. So much more. He listens to God. Secondly, he obeys God. Because we have the words of God, don't we? Oh, we do. If you've got a Bible in your hand, if you've got it on your phone, your iPad, you probably have several Bibles in your, in, in your home, you have the very words of God. You have the final word of God. Everything that we need to live this life, every. Every, and and God, was, God was made sure that he would hit anything that you need. You're, maybe you're a little more poetic. Well, we got a lot of poetry for you. Maybe you just love reading about epic stories. Got a ton of those for you. Maybe you like uh, to, um, you know, to, to, to get into prophecy and deep teaching. Not all that. The Bible is complete for every kind of soul, every kind of individual. God has spoken to us, and we have access to it amazing you could buy it at a secondhand store the very words of god 
But the question is, do we, you know, we, you know, everybody can read it, but how many obey it? How many, how many understand it? How many underst- understand that the book is not just a bunch of words, but, but it, is the, the, it is a revelation of God, and it's laid out in the most uh, unique, powerful manner, that it, it begins with the story and it has a conclusion, and that there is what holds it all together is the prophetic voice and promise of God going from covenant to covenant to covenant to the final fulfillment in Christ. How many know that? Not enough. Abraham obeys the voice. We know he's a worship because he, he, he does it. God says, go from your home. And he says, okay, Sarah, we got to go. Or Sarai, as she was called at the time. We got to move. Well, why are we moving? God told me. Oh, well, I guess we better do it, honey. Thirdly, he's blessed by God. We shouldn't miss that. We really shouldn't miss that. I mean, I think we can over... Stated, I think we can't overemphasize it because blessing, well, let's put it this way having material goods, being rich, being influential, having pedigree, and all that is not always an indication of the blessing of God. Ooh, no, 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 no. Scripture tells us that, that God gives the righteous wealth and he adds no trouble to it. <laughs> wealth can become a trouble, it can be a curse. Just asked 90% of the lottery winners. Mm-mm. They did a study on that, by the way. They all wish they'd never, ever won. Well, let's talk about what is, what is really blessing. And that is God, and so it can come in the form of material wealth. It can come in the form, and Abraham was blessed. So, in other words, Abraham is a person who's obeyed God and he follows God and God says, I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to carry out what I called you to do, which is always an indication of God's favor. And so how do we know Abraham was a worshiper? Because God took care of him, had no need. He he was so, in the end, Abraham had grown so large, he was a a moving city. Does that blow your mind? I mean, he was a nomad, of course, and had had animals and sheep and, and, and donkeys and, 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 and animals and whatnot, but they, they moved from place to place to graze, but he was well-known and feared. When Abraham came on the scene, I mean, he had enough men in order to create a small army, a moving city, a civilization. I'd call that the blessing of God, wouldn't you? All coming from one man? Absolutely. So how do we know he was a worshiper? Well, he was, he was blessed by God. Fourthly, how do we know he was a worshiper? He, he prays to God. He continues to pray. So not only did he have just the initial God comes up, he shows up, he says, okay, I want you to move. Yes, sir, I'm going. He, he, moves, and he goes on, God takes care of him, but there is this ongoing relationship that he goes out at the stars at night. Wouldn't that have been awesome after a full day of work and moving animals and doing things? No, no light pollution, no night, nothing. Abraham walking into the starry night and God speaking to him and saying, Abram, that was a good thing that you did, obeying me. Yes, sir. What else? Well, I've got some good news for you. You're an old, old man. Well, I know that, Father. You're going to have a kid. Huh? Yeah, you're going to have a son. A son? I'm 90-some-odd years old. I can't have any children. And look at Sarah. I mean, look at Sarah, Lord. And the father says, no, I'm a miracle God. 
and just to show mankind that my, my purposes will prevail through any obstacle, <laughs> I'm going to bring forth a son through you in your old age. Once again, he believes God, which is the final of my points here today, of the indication that Abraham was a worshiper, because he believes God. Now, that may seem like a big jump for you, but, or, or maybe the, the intricacies of the point are a little, di- a little harder to get, but follow with me here. Abraham gets this incredible promise. Abraham gets this promise that it's not just, I mean, it, you know, I mean, for me, when I remember, and God spoke to me and said, hey, you're going to have another son, you're supposed to call him Benjamin, and, and he came, and all the way that God said he came, I mean, that was at a glorious time. But if I had been 90 years old, that would have been a greater test of my faith, wouldn't it? That have <laughs> Andrea's going, 90? And we can still do that? I mean, she loves those babies. Uh, it would have been a greater test, wouldn't it? An incredible test. But Abraham's the kind of man, the kind of worshiper, that it doesn't matter what God tells him. He's just like, yes, sir. You are God. See, in order that the promise didn't seem overwhelming to Abraham, why? Because he sees him not as just a voice in the night. He doesn't just see him as just a, a, a religious icon to be acknowledged or sacrificed or take some wheat and just and put it at the, the foot of this graven image. He didn't see God that way. He saw him as alive and living and real and intimate and close. And so when he spoke to him, he said, you're going to have a son. He's like, yes, sir. I don't know how you're going to do that. But I believe you. And do you know why? I mean, well, let me just put it as a statement. That the Jews revered Abraham for that one the book of Hebrews refers to it. Paul refers to it. That Abraham was blessed because he believed. Now, belief is incredibly important, and we're going to come full circle on this. We'll come back to it. But belief is everything. It's everything. And the Bible tells us that it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's a curious statement. Very curious statement. But what I'll say of what I know is that Abraham really was way, way, way ahead of his time. Most men only worshiped God from afar. They couldn't have any intimate relationship with him. They could not touch the mountain. They could not draw close to him because they need, they, 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 there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There was no, there was no uh, uh, reconciliation that had taken place. There's nothing. But Abraham because he believed God, God draws him into a deeper relationship and says, this is exactly what I'm looking for, Abraham. This is what it's going to be all about. You're going to believe my words. And can I shoot way ahead, spoil the whole thing? Ah, Because I'll just keep saying it every Sunday until you get it, but... It prefigures what all of us have done on our knees. God said, I have sent my son. And he is 
the propitiation for your sins. He is a vicarious atonement. He is the redeemer. He comes and he washes away all of your sins so that now you can come boldly before his throne of grace and worship him face to face and have that kind of intimacy that Adam and Eve had. The kind of intimacy where it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, what color you are, doesn't matter. You are awesomely great in God's eye, a special apple of his eye, child. All of ours to have, but guess how we get it? One word, believe. Believe. And Adam, it was credited to him as righteousness. It, it became his doorway. It was God, God looked at Abraham and just said, man, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. This is what is coming. And this is what it will come down to. So Abraham was a worshiper. See, worship, and we're, and, and we're going to take it apart because I really believe that we've got to understand that, again, it, it is more than singing. It's more than you just coming in here and we dim the lights and we do that. We do all of that, by the way, to just create an environment. But I hope over the next six, seven, eight weeks, however long we go with this, that by the end, that you will see the value of that time that you will see that it is much more. There is much more taking place, much more opportunity, much more uh, that God wants to do in and through you during that time if you will just believe. And that's what it's all about, my friends. All yours, not forced upon you, but just giving you an opportunity. It's your choice. See, worship has a direct correlation to belief. It absolutely does. If we worship, we believe he exists. And if we believe he exists, then we worship. Worship is incredibly important. For so many of us, our, our areas of, of taking the next step in our faith, the areas of us growing in the kind of maturity and discipleship, absolutely has to come through the door of worship. Maybe you've never heard that before. But I absolutely believe, with it, believe it with all my heart. So I want to pray for us today because I, I hope that what we can do is start something, start a personal revolution inside you, that you will begin this journey with me, walk this journey out. And it might make you a little nervous. It might be that we're upending some of your traditions, upending some of your concept of worship, what worship is. And to be honest with you, I hope I do. Because sometimes some of the things that we do, some of the motions we go through, this, some of the ideas of, of what we think worship is, is really a bit detrimental. Because it has become traditional. It has become, in some ways, not life-giving to you anymore. And I'll help you find that. I hope. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning. I want to pray for you. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I thank you that in Scripture, God, we're, we're following this, this trail. And Lord, we're going to learn, and as we're learning, God, today what we've learned is that a worshiper is a person who listens. A worshiper is a person who's ready to obey and have that intimacy. God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the repairer of this. 
And Lord, in some ways, this is, it, it does feel a little awkward and backward. Because in many senses, because of what Jesus did, we should be so far ahead. We should be so much living in the garden. But Lord, this world is always tugging at us, distracting us. We have the enemy of our soul who tries to rip that out of us by seeing that taking time to worship is, doesn't have any value. It's just maybe a waste of time or only what the really religious do. When Lord Wright sitting there in front of us is an opportunity to experience a life-changing relationship that affects everything. So Lord, we want to come to you today. Lord, and I'm asking for a resetting. Lord, for everyone who's hearing this today, Lord, we'd all come before you and say, Lord, teach us. We want a do-over. We want to be restored in this area of intimacy. God, and I pray right now, Lord Jesus, if you reach out to us, Lord, for those who have believed in the name of Jesus Christ and we've accepted you into our life, you have become our Savior and our Lord. I pray that we would, Lord, not lose the opportunity that in this life that we have, we can start this joyful intimacy today and gather all of its benefits. So Lord, we want to put us, help us. Put aside, Lord, our insecurities. Lord, help us to put aside, Lord, our, our judgments, our traditions. Lord, help us put aside, Lord, those things that God Lord, the, the, the wet curtain that God, or wet towel that we've placed over this. Lord, bring us to the light. God, bring us to a greater sense of joy and intimacy and openness and relationship. Do it today in our hearts, God. We thank you. We thank you that that's the kind of prayer that you love answering. And we say amen to it. We say amen, Lord, come. I hope that's your heart today. Join with me. Just say amen. Amen, Lord, come. Teach me, lead me, feed me, transform me. Bring me into a new relationship. And with that, Lord, we're going to discover over the next weeks just what that means and how awesome that will be. Bless us and keep us now. In Jesus' name, amen.